1: Welcome back to U2Y, this is the additional supplementary episode that serves as a follow-on from the Joshua Tree chapter. As mentioned in the previous episode, I felt what was at the core of this record sleeve was the human experience and the personal experience and I was reminded of a chat that occurred between my father and former U2 assistant Mark Coleman there is such great insight in in this chat Mark is a wonderful storyteller and him and Steve time travel back to 1986 to that experience that they had and shared, and relive it in a really nice vivid and personal way so obviously it's less about the design of it all really it's more about place so this chat occurred in 2017 when we launched steve's limited edition run of prints of shots that he took himself whilst in the desert this conversation from 2017 coinciding with the 30th year anniversary tour of joshua tree was to launch an exhibition of the photographs that my father took himself on this trip to the desert in 1986 on his little small olympus xa compact camera you can view these images on steve's website stephenaverell.com forward slash dv86 but we are also just about to launch a new series of prints unseen before featuring anton taking photographs of the band you can sign up for exclusive news on these prints at stephenaverill.com forward slash u2y Okay, so let's journey back to Death Valley in 1986 with Steve Averill and Mark Coleman in their conversation from 2017. And, there, you. and have you guys? Did you guys know each other
3: before you went on the trip? We hadn't met, but we we went really just fleetingly. Okay. Mark so. worked in SDS Studios and had been working on okay. Joshua J demos, and I think. I'd okay. Work.
1: So you guys
2: yeah, forged the unforgettable fire. I think yeah. the first time we met was probably the unforgettable okay. fire. We
1: you forged your relationship on this trip, essentially. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. So. Mark, Mark was tasked
3: with um, tour management yeah. on, on this on this trip, and this was about, just as the band were about to sort of break really, really big in America. Yeah, I think it's fair to
2: say that that one of the important things is, in a way, that we were on the cusp of something. Something was about to change, and Ireland was in also in a very peculiar place. It was the eighties. Some of you were here for them. Were a very, very dark, economically tough time for people, and uh, it was. I was just looking at the tour program there when, when I came in. It's interesting to even notice that there were comments or quotes, some quotes, of it, and one of the things Bon was saying that people didn't even have the money to go out in the evening in Ireland during the early eighties. It, so suddenly out of this period, we found ourselves being asked to do this. I was only 25, and Dennis Sheen, who was U2's manager, asked me and then said to Steve, listen, Mark's never done this before, so will you give him a hand? Mm-hmm. Two of you will be make one person. Yeah. <laughs> so, we found ourselves on a plane to Los Angeles, which neither of us had ever been to. I'd only ever been on the East Coast once, and, and Steve had never been to America. And I, I, I think that just getting out of the plane into the warmth of L.A., even in December, yeah. was stunning number one. <laughs> and, and then finding ourselves in Reno, of all places, we, we took a plane the next day to, to Reno, which is kind of like, a, I don't know if anyone's ever been there, it's a smaller version of Las Vegas. But it has just smaller, one smaller, cheaper version <laughs> of <the passengers. laughs> And cheaper and, and quite different. Yeah. And there's just one street. And yeah. it's a, it's a drag where everybody's in full cowboy gear and they drive these low riders that have been jacked right down to the ground and everyone listens to metal music. And they wear metal t-shirts yeah. and cowboy hats and cowboy boots. And it's a little aggressive. <laughs> but one of the things Steve noticed when he said you know, you can walk around this town and not a single person knows who these guys are. Yeah. But that was kind of all part of the process in, in a way. So the the jesher for us was something we knew from movies and things. And, and I, I was always a cowboy at heart, but I think I came home an in Indian having been in that particular... <laughs> so we were at war. <laughs> so the, we started off and... and left, we got up in the morning and found this black, very rock and roll tour bus outside our hotel and that was to be our vehicle. So we got on this thing and <laughs> the driver promptly announced to us that there's a little electrical problem on the bus so we can't really use everything electrical at the one time but I think we'll be fine. I it's kind of like, <laughs> well <laughs> if he says so but this is, okay. So we started Drive and and you reach these incredibly high elevations. The highest mountain up near Bodie is Bodie is right on the border of California with Nevada. It's just along the sits on the Sierra Nevada mountains. But you travel over a a mountain that's eleven and a half thousand feet high to get there on a on a dirt. It's not a paved road, Mm. and then you descend down into this valley where Bodie is. And Bodie is not much lower. Bodie's eight thousand five hundred square feet in elevation. And you've got all these There's not a person around and just snow everywhere. And as you climb, it gets colder and colder and colder and colder. And at one point, before we departed Reno, and the guy had told us, you know, this bus has this electrical problem. Larry, who's the practical man, said, we need to go to a hardware store, buy some plug-in electric heaters and some of those black American aluminium torches, just in case. (laughs) So... We drove up to the big car lot of the giant hardware store, probably the only one in Reno. Parked outside, went inside, and came out with about twenty mag light torches and three plug in electric American heaters. Put them in our bus, and Steve also came out with a mirror. Yes, very important. We're going to the desert. This is a a shoot. There's no the wardrobe lady needs a a mirror. As do the guys. A mirror right there. <laughs> and, and
0: there you are.
2: <laughs> so we piled into this bus and <laughs> climbed higher and 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 it got colder and colder and colder and colder. And at one point Larry said, Okay, it's Plug absolutely freezing. Plug in the heaters. We plugged in the heaters. The bus did get warmer. And after a while, it got warmer and warmer. None of the lights on the interior of the bus worked at this stage. Yeah. And then, at some point, Steve said, the, the, "There's a burning smell." And there was a burning smell in the and bus. Smoke and smoke, and it was pull out the heaters, time, and go up to drive and to listen. What is the story here? Where are we? And and uh, uh he said, well, we're in the middle. I said, where's the nearest town here? This is actually dangerous. <laughs> so he said, well, I think there's a place called Bishop not too far from here. So we drove to Bishop at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And Bishop is a town that has one motel and two coffee shops. That's it. And we got into this place. We checked into this motel. We woke up the next morning to this beautiful blue sky and freezing temperature. And we hopped in our... Bus and off we went. But everywhere we drove was each vista that you came around a corner, and you descend into valley, you and it was just more and more stunning. And, and Stephen and I think I think it's fair to say we completely fell in love with what we were. Absolutely, yeah. You're you're actually travelling in, in a
3: film. You're looking at the highways, all these things you've seen on westerns and in you know American road movies
2: was just outside our window the, the whole time. You kind of like live in Paris, Texas, but it hadn't even been made yet. Yeah, and. Uh, It was a very small crew. There were, yes, the four band were there. There was Marion Smythe, who was the stylist. There was Anton Corbin, who, as you know, is a Dutch master, probably one of the greatest photographers of our time, really. And his assistant, Julian. And then, uh, one other guy, a guy called Steve from Windmill Lane, two studios in, in, uh, Los Angeles, who'd been part of the kind of scouting team. And he traveled in a small Jeep. Jeep. Thank God we had <laughs> another vehicle and off we went. And, and I, I can only say from a, my personal point of view, every frame that Gerard shot was like shooting these photographs. And, and I'd forgotten that Steve actually had a camera with a, a roll of film in it. And he just sent the one roll, uh, black and white, and he shot these images. And at the same time, we were really concentrating. Steve's job was to make sure. That in the four days or whatever we had to do this that we got everything we possibly needed for the album for calendars for posters for, programs and we weren't going to be going back there
1: yes i think that's a really good point as well that the camera that, that steve had with him was this little olympus xa that fits in your top pocket in a
3: funny way that camera was more useful than a current camera because you had three settings you had landscape Mid range and close up, that was it. Mm. You're nothing else, you, you weren't looking at it and saying, Oh, we need to do this FF model, you
1: just took a picture. Do you remember taking any of these photographs? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, and I remember him photographing, mm. particularly out of the bus. But one of the great things that happened is when you're on a photo shoot, there's always this downtime moments in between setting up for different shots. So, being curious, Steve and I would wander off, mm. <laughs> and he would take photographs, and hence that's where he found that cowboy book, for example. He just saw it, and and, and so he thought, wow, that's a kid's cowboy book, just left here. Bodie is an extraordinary place to go to, and it was only made a National Historic Monument in the U.S. in 2002. Prior to that, it was just a ghost town sitting there, and people could have driven in and out, taken whenever they wanted out of it, and and, and it just would have got less and less value in in terms of a place to go. One of the things you notice when you are there is... The food cans with the labels are still on the store shelves. There are books in the school, There are the box springs of people's mattresses are still on the bed, but the fabric has decayed over the years. And because you're at that elevation with that really harsh climate in winter and then really dry summer, the place is almost perfectly preserved. So it, 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 is, it is like taking this crazy journey. And then you ask, yourself, well, why did this all happen? Why did people just walk out of this little gold mine town? It seems quite idyllic, although at the same time, you understand the hardship that one must have gone through to actually live there. And the only way for it to communicate with the outside world was by a single rail track. When 1917 comes along, First World War, American federal government says, shut down all unnecessary mines, take out the tracks. We want them for Scrappage to make tanks and whatever. That happened. A fire happened in Bowie, the people just got on the last train and left it. And they left months there, but honestly, they just had to get out of there. And that's really how the town yeah. happened. It's pretty much like us. Yeah. <laughs> and we by were, the way, we Steve were, was told... Yeah. yeah you can we,
3: we, we were there, we were shooting away, and uh, one of the rangers who, who was there came up to us and said, look, you guys, it's starting to snow very heavily. If you don't get that bus out of here now, you're going to be here for the whole winter. Right? So well, we had the same thing. We had to gather everyone together very, very quickly <laughs> and drive... <laughs> And, as you say, the roads were, weren't paved roads, so you're pretty hairy driver. Yeah, the bus shape
2: moves, it slides, because <laughs> this is a grit road. Yeah. And then they get washed out in, in the rains and all yeah. that stuff, so there's this constant yeah. edginess that you're feeling like, are we going to go, oh, this is not, yeah. like, we, they don't have these kind of mountains in Ireland. Like, why are use do you the little green hills it? and then... You do <laughs> <laughs> we had a few moments like that. Another great moment, like that was when we were driving from, we did the Bodie shoot, we just stay in this motel in the middle of nowhere after, and the next day. So we're from eight and a half thousand elevation, we moved down to Death Valley the next day. It's like 24 degrees Celsius, whereas it was sub zero up in Bodie, uh, to the point where the guys out of sheer boredom started a snowfight, ball fight in the middle of the boat. It was quite amusing. But we arrived in this, we're driving on this two lane blacktop road in the desert in near Death Valley. And the next thing we hear, stop the bus, stop the bus. <laughs> and it's Anton. I said, Anton, what's, what's the bus? He said, there, that's very rare. And I said, what's rare? And he said, it's a single Joshua tree. And sure yeah. enough, about a mile out in the desert was like a single Joshua <laughs> tree. tree. He said, they, they normally grow and grow. This, stuff, this could be the album cover. <laughs> so I said, well, what do you want to do? We can't actually drive there. And yeah. he said, Stop the bus, everybody off the bus, we're going to carry out, with walk out there. Okay. So we start, yeah. Steve and I were like the donkeys because there were no crew. So we got tons of stuff, but really important that the mirror they get broken. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Marion Smythe, who was our wonderful uh, stylist, was really heavily pregnant at the time, she couldn't be carrying all this gear, so off we go. And we're back, I'd say two, three hundred yards out into the desert. Yeah. Next thing we hear is shouting. We bus turn down. back, the bus drives out of the bus yeah, boys, I, just, I just forgot to tell you, but you, you better all mine out for them rattlesnakes out there. <laughs> so, so we froze. Everybody just like, the 10 of us, which all oh, there was. Just looked at one and went, You go to the zoo to see that shit? Like, what, what's the other of that? Like, <laughs> rattlesnakes? This is like. Yeah. So we start kind of tiptoeing because as you look at the ground, there are snake holes everywhere. And then after a while he shouts, "Well, you know, it, it's December. Maybe it's too cold for them to come out." That really didn't help us a lot. Yeah. So we still had another eight hundred yards to get out in the desert like to get minefield. to the actual <laughs> single junction. Yeah. So you are tiptoeing through effectively a minefield, thick yeah. minefield, and out we did to do that. Yeah. So it was the, that was actually the fastest section of the whole shoot because people <laughs> were standing around like this. And Andrew be going, and he's so serious If He's a very funny guy. And when he's doing his work, he's so serious. So he's going, shut up, stop laughing. <laughs> and everybody is, they're, they're actually doing this. Like, whoa, oh, hang on a minute. Like, stand still. And i go, oh, shut up. Like, <laughs> so it was all this stuff. Yeah. And it was uh, immensely funny. But that was the quickest bonus in that particular part. Pop-
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: But there's an atmosphere, I think, in, in all of the imagery and iconography that seems to have both some kind of a spiritual peacefulness to it alongside this sense of urgency. And I think that that's probably coming from the, thing, the exact thing you're talking about. I think
2: there's a couple of things there, really. The, <laughs> the, the desert, I mean, when you think about the temperate little green isle that, that most of us come from here, and um, it's a very easy place to live It's there aren't extremes of of anything and yet in the back of of every Irish person's mind probably was this concept of all roads lead to Philadelphia and the the promised land and and the story of immigration and all that kind of stuff so you you have this idea that that it's got to be better there it's got to be and yet, you get off a plane and you see the vastness of this and the harsh... I mean, Death Valley is 140 degrees in the shade in the summer. You die if you get out of a yeah. vehicle. In the winter, it's, it's still very hot in the day, but it goes sub-zero temperature at night time. So you're... Yes, you have the land of opportunity, but these pilgrims couldn't have any idea, coming from our little potato country to that sort of extremity, to f- kind of have a better life.
1: So you have this atmosphere of, of, of exactly what you're saying. And
2: possibility.
1: Coupled cu- with the. I know you said the beginning of the end. The end of the beginning. Of you two, and this cusp of being gigantic. Yeah. Yes. So was that permeating the atmosphere as well?
3: Not as much because we didn't seem like that to us. I think that they, we actually all got on extremely well. Oh, we had a lot I, of fun. Though.
1: Yeah, there wasn't. But there was something said. I think Anne Louise had said it when you did the talk during the summer that there was people knew you guys all knew something was special was happening.
2: Well, I will say this. Okay, I think everybody was really taken by the aesthetic. Beauty and the dimension of because that's the first thing that have we Have You
3: heard the album when you were they first? had done demos, but they hadn't done finished. Oh, yeah, no, we were working on the demos. What you were no, working to, no, just a vague, yeah. What was the brief? We had gone over the working title was The Two Americas, and it explained to me that, that what we wanted to find was a place where primitive America and sophisticated America might meet, and, and so from that came the idea of a ghost town. And then from the ghost town, we, we did Bodie, And after the ghost town, it really was, Anton had set up a sort of various points and his whole thing about shooting was, we will stop when we see somewhere that feels right, which has happened. quite a bit. Yeah, we, just, yeah. we just stopped, sure. got off the bus, you know he'd, he'd see something in the hill he'd see a mine shaft a wooden you know piece of structure that looked good and we'd go off and do that so we kept it very very open and that was what was great about it it wasn't like we're the biggest rock and roll or a big rock and roll band we got to say this five-star hotel five-star hotel
2: no. five-star <laughs> we just stayed in di- you know whatever we could find The hotel should... didn't even have a restaurant in it and i remember even being rung up at two in the morning just before we all went to sleep and checked in that late and some of the guys were saying, it's freezing. So <laughs> you find a linen cupboard in the hotel, get a pile of blanks, and just go round the room, bang, bang, throw them in, then the end of right, that's break. Yeah, for the
3: van, not for the rest of us. <laughs> no, no, no,
2: the rest of us were, We dare not go to sleep. <laughs> what else might happen to us at that stage? So, so but to there was myself, this,
1: then, if I could go back on what I said, does that mean that you guys were, it, it felt very grassroots. There wasn't the a sense of the impending success. You were just, it was the next item.
2: I think to be up. honest, well, we we were all, every single one of us. I think it's fair to say it's very, the whole town, we were stunned by the sheer beauty and, and, and that in its sense, itself, there was this sense of opportunity and it, you almost felt the, the, the sense of opportunity that maybe pilgrims must have felt when they landed themselves in this land of opportunity. Yeah. And there was nobody around, so it, it was quite a personal experience, yeah. but it was very communally It was very, shared. It was
3: genuinely spiritual to yeah. be in the desert and to be a little tiny speck in this vast Quite humbling, uh, in a
2: certain way, is the truth. And the other thing that was going on, Ireland was in a pretty dark place. And I think spiritually, people were in quite a dark place. And the desert was a great symbol of that dried up spiritual well. And, And yet, at the same time, it was also a place to maybe dig another well and see could... Yeah. Could you get the water back? Because even, even in these harshest environments, there's
3: life growing. And promise. Yeah. You know, that way. so it was, I mean, when we actually got to where we were going, to the actual tree, I think, um, it was quite funny because it, it was very early in the morning. It was yeah. around six o'clock in the morning when we, got up, when we got off the bus. It was absolutely beautiful. Not, no wind whatsoever. Yes. So although it was like zero degrees was no wind. So one says, okay, this is going to look like July. Take your shirts off. Get your jackets off. So they all stripped down to their, you singlets. know, singlets in the freezing cold. So that's one of the other reasons why it was so
2: so fast to shoot. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Two reasons. Rattlesnakes potentially. And freezing, were freezing them But they were supposed to try and look warm. Uh, because The place
3: looked incredibly So of course, when we finished the still shoot, Bond decides, oh, let's film a video here. So he starts Singing the words of a song that he hasn't quite finished. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, that that 16mm film was shot of uh, of, of a, I still the haven't found I'm looking for, um, and a film of Anton shooting that was shot as yeah. well, and um, all on a very old JVC v- yeah. VHS camera. Yeah. So, but it's still fun stuff. Yeah, and, and we also what well, we did is we stopped at a
3: camera at One point we went in and oh, we yeah. bought a a point-and-shoot eight-millimeter camera with a huge bag of these these three-minute cassettes you put into little it. little Kodak thing, yeah. I remember. So we, we just shot, it was given to me mainly, but also Steve, who did the, the JVC, and Anton, a bit, and we all shot whatever we could do. And it was kind of like a
2: piece of Americana, because you'd arrive in these places, and they are really properly in the middle of nowhere. The concept of the middle of nowhere, I don't think one understands until you go to somewhere like that. <laughs> each one horse town and so these little, this little convenience store gas station shop would have maybe bought in for stock one of those little cameras 50 years ago or 30 years and it's sitting there mm. suddenly these agents come in and they buy it and it's of great novel interest to us and another interesting thing that did happen to us uh, uh, we had to get another bus because of the problems with that bus and so the next bus that <laughs> arrived um, was actually a standard school bus with no lounge <laughs> area a bathroom or anything on the bus. <laughs> and I thought, shit, Dennis, what the hell what am I going to do with this? <laughs> so uh, I, we, we got on the bu- I had to go down and say, this is a slightly different bus. But <laughs> we, so we got on the bus, but people were in such good humor; it actually didn't matter. Yeah. And I remember getting on the bus, and the bus driver was a Texas guy in full cowboy gear, really cool, sets and look, sequined clothes, really fancy boots, and even had a uh, the, the the sequence line down the seam of his jean, black jeans. And he, he said in the Texas, and said, well, "I'm Bill here now. Looking around here, around all you guys, looking around with half mohawks, half beards, half whatever." He said, I, 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 I don't think I want to be communicating with all of you guys, so who's in charge? So I said, well, I guess that's going to be me. He said, well, right, that's it. You tell me where we're going. I'm not listening to any of you people. And my name is Bill. And I, and, and I heard about the other bus. Of so, so off we went. That was great. Bill was great. That was fine. Except when we got down out of Death Valley we were driving along and zzz, 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 and Bill then stopped the bus turned on and said eh we we, we we're, we're kind of low on gas <laughs> and I said eh, Bill we are in the middle of the American <laughs> desert
0: <laughs> what
2: are we going to do here? so Steve our guy from Wimbledon went off in his little four wheel drive and managed to get two big containers of diesel and we poured them into the bus, which was enough to get us far enough to meet another bus. Yeah. So there were all these things going on, but well, we were just—we oh, were having the for your our yeah. But in a way, it, it kind of enhanced the the bonding and the experience yeah. of the ten of us out
3: there. Yeah. I mean, I think
2: another almost lunar landscape
3: was when we got to Zabriskie Point, oh. because that was such a strange like this. Basically, it's mud. The whole, all these mountains mm. of mud, and there's these channels along the bottom, which in the winter become streams, or, or, so, so we climb down, go down these things, and we should get into the whole thing, and it's just, you're in this landscape, which looks like the moon, and it's, 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 yeah, yeah, I've never experience. seen
2: anything like it. And the other thing that's really extraordinary is Bowie's 8,554 feet in elevation. Death Valley is 283 feet below sea level. And you're looking at colours from white to silver to gold to purple to orange to blue to green to burgundy, all in the Earth. And it's these unbelievable mounds of Earth that shift and change depending on the water patterns and your climate. And it is you don't even think you're on the planet Earth anymore. It's that unbelievable. So there's all of that. And so I think Steve's photographs, they certainly capture the concept of the promised land, but also the harshness of it at, at the same time, and they really are iconic uh, images of of the American West, yeah. and 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 that way of a kind of hard ass way of life that people eat out to to leave say yeah. here or wherever they left, thinking they were going to a be better... I mean,
3: Bodhi, Bodhi is a perfect symbol of yeah. that, because people obviously went there because it was a gold mining town, yeah. this was going to be fantastic to live, yeah. and suddenly you know, some, a few years later they're gone it's, yeah. it's abandoned and the whole thing, so you're continuing, where the boot was, where it was this was a little tiny shack that had fallen in, it was obviously a workers, a fa- working family shack, and I'd gone in to look inside and I went out the back door, and the boot was just sitting in the back garden oh, on, on its own, amazing. the whole thing so you suddenly realise people have lived here and yeah. they've just completely... It, climate has changed, they've they've moved on, things are doing, they're probably somewhere else living a different life. So all that promise of help and change, and and that's when we were actually on the bus, and um, I remember sitting with with Bono and Anton and talking about things, and and then Bono going and saying, well, the Joshua Tree might be a a title for the album. So um, we talked about the fact that the Joshua Tree only grows in two places, that's in that particular part of the desert, and in Israel. So they saw a spiritual connection between, mm-hmm. between those mm-hmm. two things. And we immediately felt, Joshua Tree sounds like an interesting name. And at that time, I vaguely knew about Graham Parsons and the Joshy sure. Tree thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't really foremost in my mind and what we were doing. But funnily enough, although the album's called The Joshy Tree, the front cover photograph is taken in the Whiskey point. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of footage of, of me and Mark going down, 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 down long hills carrying... I don't know like pack mules carrying yeah. mirrors and tables and trays and things like that and the band
2: walking ahead with bye, day, day, yeah. how and telling jokes and having great fun and us kind of thinking well yeah but don't break that mirror you know? <laughs> <laughs> that, the,
1: said, the mirror did get broken as well there is
2: a <laughs> shot of the mirror at canceled, the very so end yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. the mirror didn't make it <laughs> yeah. but it, it did everything it was supposed to do <laughs> for the time yeah. Take the string.
1: yeah
2: I mean it's the kind of mirror that should been mounted on the back of a wardrobe door no we didn't see it off the back of a door it was both in that hardware store yeah.
1: um, just a question mm-hmm. about uh, it's actually a curiosity of mine that I never even thought to ask you um, so there's an inherent cinematic quality to this trip and the story you're telling yeah. and also the music is inherently cinematic I think a lot of that's that's you know in Langwell. Um we've cropped our images to, to match the aesthetic of the, of the cover photograph so I wonder was that something that Anton had kind of or, or had you discussed that before? And I'm talking about like the, the, the widescreen crop on the images. Was that a thing you guys had determined before in the shoot, or was that sort
3: of...? That was me, basically. Um, I had decided that I loved the widescreen idea. There were there were various mock-ups of the album cover, done with, some were just full bleed. And at one point, there was talk about maybe going in the direction of an ECM album with just a landscape picture, and no band in it at all. But as I began to sort of look at the pictures and go through them, I, I felt that sense, as we talked about, being in this world of cinema and landscapes. And so so I, I He also think. shot with an anamorphic lens or
1: something, right? Which is quite unusual.
3: Yes, it is a very strange lens. It's a camera with a lens that goes... Mm-hmm. And it's meant for mm-hmm. landscape, but when you photograph people, they're basically blurred and the background is in focus. Yeah. So Anton somebody who's always played with the idea of, of focus. Quite often he'll have shots of a band where the person at the front is completely out of focus, and the band behind is, and so on, and vice versa. But he's, as, as, as the thing about the trip that really was special was that people don't know, Manton seems like a very, very serious person. He is a very serious photographer, but he's also got a, one of the best dry humors of anybody yes. we've ever worked with. You know. he's and sometimes you don't know whether he's having a gocha or whether he's been, you know. He's
2: so hilarious because he will have such a serious time with something, to you, and then suddenly. So, this Merkle.
0: Steve, did you choose the final image off of the work that Anton
2: did, or did they submit it to you?
3: No, I basically made choices of, for most of them, and then I sat with Anton and said, These are the choices I've made. And he, you know, we'd work on a couple of ideas, but yeah, pretty much they were my suggestions originally because I would sit for a week and just do mock ups and choose these photographs to work with. And then he would come in and say he'd have a sense of, of what he wanted to do, and then we'd show them to the band, and the band would agree with it. And it wasn't too much of a problem in getting. What we
2: wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, at that stage, Steve had such a long history with them, and, and there's a lot of, I think when you work with those creative people, there's a trust that, you know, you don't have to keep going there every time you start another project. You've kind of already arrived at a certain place, so, he's the creative director, so he was able to make people trust him mm-hmm. I mean
3: the funny thing is although you go as art director you don't act art director at An- Anton he's not a photographer you are direct you 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 discuss things with him and as uh, Mark said my role was largely I needed to know we had enough like you know the way the band balance works if you're going to do a tour and you've got to have six shots of age, of six shots of Larry, six shots of Adam, six shots of Bono. So you have to make sure that these were done because the tendency is to sort of focus on on, on Bono because he's all, you know, singing and dancing at the front of his thing. So you get a lot of shots of Bono and very few of the others. So, you know, that was what I did. And also would be very aware of myself of every situation we were shooting so that I would know what it was going to mean for what I wanted to do, do later on. So you have a very important role, but you're not sort of telling the Felford, shoot this this way now. You know?
0: they, they, given that they hadn't become as big as they did become, you wouldn't have had, or did you have an idea that you'd have as much a demand for images, for programs and all the other... Yeah, well we uh,
3: kind of, from previous, you know, from previous albums, we knew that there needs to be all
0: these...
3: Every newspaper or every magazine is looking for an image that hasn't been seen anywhere else. So you've got to accumulate a lot. And, and the old rule of thumb was: you take if you get one good shot from each location, you're doing you're doing well. But we have to get ten good shots from each location we we were in. You know.
1: I think in terms of that image selection, which feeds back into these six images. In some ways, it wasn't so hard because there was only one roll of film. But each of these images we picked because they all sort of told a story and were cinematic in their own mm. sort of sensibility. Um, and actually, to, to sort of tap into how I think close you and Anton are together in terms of your aesthetic, the shot of the highway, which is proving to be the most popular one, um, ended up being a big feature on the Joshua Tree tour. And the yeah. visuals, and we had picked that before we'd seen that, yeah. and all of a sudden it was like, of course, it have out now because it's it's inherently built into that DNA again. Yes. Um, I'm just conscious of the time, okay. and uh, maybe we'll wrap it up.
3: Yeah. With... Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> I want to just really thank. Kathy and Nikki and, and everybody here in, in this space. From Mark, who I hadn't spoken for a long time, we had a fantastic conversation when I rang him and asked him would he consider coming and sitting down with me because I wanted that human aspect of what we were doing because we were, although central to the whole thing, we were kind of almost on the periphery of what was going on and making sure that it happened and you know.
1: I think this is a conversation that needs to happen again and in a room with yeah. a microphone. Because um, it's really
3: fascinating for me. Yeah, standing outside the bus, counting
2: one member, two members, three <laughs> member,
3: four member. Hey,
1: we're
2: missing one.
3: You know, we, we well, so I
2: took my wife who's here tonight, and my children. My boy was five at the time, and my daughter was nine back there in 2000, and it was still identical. Yeah. Except it was a proper ranger station there. Yeah. And then two years later, it became a, 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 it's a national. C- Carl, Carl has been there,
3: there as well three years ago. It's exactly. Like oh I actually gosh. did the same trip exactly. last year. Okay. flew to Reno, then drove all the way to okay. Bishop, and it's exactly the same. And Reno is just as you. As you <laughs> it's right? crazy.
2: it's
3: the same. The jockey tree yes. is gone and fallen down, but it's still there, so everybody can go
0: visit it.
1: Steve and I would like to send our deep gratitude to Mark Coleman for his participation in that chat. Next week, Octone Baby. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.